It's time for the Comic Bing Comic Book Podcast. The podcast you look forward to for all of your news and reviews of the best comic books hitting stands. Whether it's DC, Marvel, Image, Boom, or whatever book or publisher you follow. We cover them all here. This is the place for you. That's right. It's for everyone. This is the Comic Bin Comic Book Podcast. Let's get it. Hey folks, welcome to another episode of the Comic Bin Comic Book Podcast. I am your host, Dio. Happy New Year to one and all. And with a new year, of course, we start out a new season of the podcast. We're now going into season four. Thank you all for continuing this ride with me as we peruse the world of comic books. As we do every year when we kick off a new season, we kick things off with my review of Fan Expo New Orleans. So, of course, Fan Expo's first event of the year is in the Crescent City, which is my hometown. So, I had an opportunity to cover the event as I have done for the last three years since they've taken over from Wizard World. So I will give a quick review of my time there. Uh, unlike previous years, I was only able to cover the event for one day. Uh, there was some bad weather in the city that weekend and so it kept me away from check checking it out on that first day, that Friday, and I had another commitment that Sunday which kept me from going to the third day but uh ended up spending the entire day there on saturday that second day so we'll take a look at that and then uh, we will finish the episode up with a look at some books that have come out over the past few weeks before we get into what's to come with the comic bin so no news uh, to cover this episode. I wanted to jump right into my time at Fan Expo. Again, I was only able to go to one day this year. Uh, but I, as always, appreciate those guys over at Fan Expo HQ for allowing me to cover the event. Uh, a few things. So I was not able to interview anyone on site. Uh, this year uh, so a few things to account for that one uh, there seemed to have been a bug because at the last minute there were several creators who ended up canceling I mean when I say at last minute I mean like the day of that Friday we uh, got notification uh, via email and through the Fan Expo app that a few artists or a few creators were not going to be in attendance uh, and so you know that kind of put it down on some of the guys that I wanted to meet and talk to uh, including Jai Lee but then uh, again there was just some bug I, I was also set to interview Fabrice Sapolsky about uh, what's going on at Fair Square Comics uh, they have a new imprint coming out uh, that follows along with the trade paperback uh, anthology that came out uh, a few years ago, Noir the New Black. And so I wasn't able to speak with him about that because he came down with a 
serious bug as well and he wasn't sure if he was going to be able to finish the event i am going to have him on in a future episode uh, to talk about what's going on at fair square with the new imprint that uh, they will be producing uh, i'm very excited about it because i am a huge fan of noir's the new black uh, but in general this this year was a little bit different with Fan Expo. Uh, again, this is their third year uh, after taking over from Wizard World. Uh, and for the first time, they actually had things set up a little bit different. And I was actually pleasantly surprised uh, with the makeup and how the layout of the main floor looked this year. Uh, again, they had the usual panel rooms. Uh, the main panel stage, however, uh, unlike the first two years, was not on the main floor uh, with the boots and other tables that were out there. It was actually on a different floor, on the second floor. So uh, any of those events uh, that required people to sit at the main stage uh, wasn't in that, that area on the first floor as it had been the first two years of the event. Now, what that did allow Fan Expo to do, however, was it expanded their community area, uh, which I think was a great idea. Uh, they have slowly been ingraining themselves as a part of uh, the community with regards to putting on this event every January. And so uh, there were quite a bit more of uh, community organizations out there uh, promoting, you know, their their organization or events. Uh, you know, one of the things that I've always enjoyed about Fan Expo is that they allow a lot of the smaller cons in the area to promote their events as well uh, on the floor of Fan Expo. So. They actually had, again, just like every year, uh, the folks from CypherCon, which is the sci-fi con that's out there in Lake Charles. But they also had the folks from Humble Enterprises, and those are the guys that put on a Louisiana Comic Con that's going to be happening in March out there in Lafayette. So, you know, they, they do a good job of ingraining themselves into the community and uh, just giving them a place and a space to promote their events as well. Now, another thing that was a pleasant surprise was uh, the expansion of the menu at Fan Expo. Uh, you know, typically you go to these cons and no matter where you go, it's typically always the same thing hot dogs, chicken tenders, pizza, wings, things of that nature. But again, in their process of ingraining themselves more into the New Orleans community, they actually had a New Orleans-style menu out there for Fan Expo this year. Uh, so if you were a fan of red beans and rice, you had the chance to get that. You had the chance to get andouille sausage. You had a chance to get chicken and sausage gumbo. There were a lot of, you know, New Orleans-style cuisine on display this year, and uh, I truly enjoyed that. I had uh, 
both a cup of gumbo and some red beans that I actually brought back to the hotel with me after the event was over for that day. Uh, but again, it's just I, I appreciate what Fan Expo does uh, in implanting themselves into the community to make sure that it is well represented. So whether it was the community area or with the fact of expanding the menu to allow for uh, New Orleans style cuisine, they did a good job in, in representing New Orleans. So let's talk a little bit about the turnout. So again, I did not make it for day one due to the weather but oh man day two was probably the busiest of the three years that i've been attending fan expo's new orleans show um i don't know if it was due to the new layout or what but it just seemed there were people everywhere and it just seemed far more than what I am used to seeing at the convention center, uh, whether on the main floor or even those going in and out of panels uh, on the second floor of the convention center. Uh, now, typically when they report their figures, Fan Expo say, says that about 30,000 people attend the event each year. I would not be surprised if this year was higher. Uh, I did speak to a few individuals who were in attendance who were there for their very first time. So um, this is a show that really, really has the opportunity to grow its market and, and, and grow its pull in, in the New Orleans community. Uh, because again, there are a lot of folks who have been there in previous years, but there still seems to be a lot of people who are learning about Fan Expo and taking advantage of it. Uh, again, there was this one kid that I met his first time there, real big into anime and manga. Uh, he was there in his Naruto vest and he was just so excited with regards to uh, what the show had to offer for fans uh, whether it was in the panels or the autograph sessions that were available uh, or in some of the items that they were selling there uh, but for some reason this seemed to they seemed to have more anime actors and actresses there this year uh with the new setup uh which was which was mainly on the side where the main stage is however for some reason they just seem to have a ton of anime actors there and let me tell you those lines to meet with them to get either autographs or pictures or both they were massive. They were longer than, of course, anything on the comic book side. And they were longer than what was on for uh, the celebrity side with the actors and actresses who had been there as well. So, again, it was a busy day there. Uh, but the busyness was really where you you found 
you really found it where the voice actors for anime and manga, uh, which goes to show just how strong an impact and just how much uh, fans are uh, really grabbing hold of it. I, I, you all who know me know that I am I am a novice when it comes to manga and to anime, and I am still trying to get my fill with it, uh, but it is definitely popular. It's not going anywhere anytime soon, and I am definitely going to have to do a better job of getting a grasp of, of what the genre brings and what it does to those who are fans of the genre uh, because again that's 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 where it is right now when you go to uh, these cons there there's there's a lot for everyone but if you're a fan of anime and manga man they're just everywhere they they take up uh, the bulk of what you will see at an event like Fan Expo. I had a wonderful time. I'm actually going to do a video review uh, within the next week or so. I, I bought a one of those mystery boxes that are always being sold there. Uh, so I'm going to do a video review of that just to see what's inside. I still haven't opened it to see what the contents of it are. Uh, but we'll do that together and uh, be on the lookout for that. It'll be posted to our YouTube page, uh, hopefully within the next week. So be on the lookout for that. Uh, but again, I want to thank the folks over at Fan Expo and in particular Jerry, uh, who handles the PR for Fan Expo's New Orleans show, uh, who I've had the opportunity to work with for the last three years since they've taken over uh, from Wizard World. And I look forward to continuing to work with those guys. Uh, they have already announced the dates of their next show. Uh, again, Fan Expo's New Orleans show is always the first of the year. And next year, uh, it will be held the weekend of January 10th. So January 10th through January 12th, 2025 at the Morial Convention Center in New Orleans. So if you're in the area, definitely check it out. Uh, I'll be there again next year as well. Uh, I am hoping one day that I can actually be a part of uh, the programming with Fan Expo and, and do an episode of the Comic Ben Comic Book Podcast or a TBU podcast uh, while I'm there. But again, thank those folks at that Fan Expo for allowing me to cover it. And uh, I look forward to doing it again in January 2025. Now, again, this is Comic Ben Comic Book Podcast, which means at some point I need to talk about some comic books. So let's do that. And let's talk about some of the books that have come out over the past few weeks. Okay, first up, and we're going to go a little bit back to uh, last year for this one. Uh, this came out week before Christmas, but I, I wanted to touch on it to give it its justice and its due. Uh, Animal Pound number one from Boom Studios, 
written by Tom King with art by Peter Gross. And, and I really want to touch on this for a few reasons. One, everyone knows that I've kind of been down on Tom King since uh, Batman 50 and uh, the subsequent titles that have come from it since, including Bat Cat. Uh, but I really wanted to touch upon this uh, because of the story itself. Now, this is a more modern day adaptation of Animal Farm. Uh, and I really enjoy what King did in his take of the story. So, again, if you remember the book Animal Farm, it basically takes place on a farm. The animals revolt, take over, and you kind of know how things end if you read the book by Orwell. Uh, with this adaptation, it's not on the farm, it's in an animal pound. And it's a revolt with cats and dogs and rabbits. Uh, and I truly, truly, truly enjoyed the writing in it. Uh, it didn't seem as much of Tom King's style that I'm used to seeing in his writings. Um, but that's not to say it's a bad thing. It was actually a good thing. Again, if that's how he's been writing of late, great job. But I truly enjoyed his take on the story, on the story of animal form and how he twists it to be represented in this animal pound with uh, Madame Fifi and Titan uh, leading the revolt of the cats and dogs against the pound workers. And of course, we, we know that if you read the story of Animal Farm, how things are going to turn out eventually. But if not, I'm not going to spoil it for you. You really need to pick it up and uh, give, it a, give it a read. Now, again, I like the art from Peter Gross. I love the colors from Tamara Bundelin. I've been a fan of hers since uh, her work with Dan Moore and Karen Gillan on uh, Once in the Future. Truly, truly love the palette that's used throughout the uh, throughout the issue, and uh, in the end, it 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 really had me looking at my uh, feline. I have a black cat by the name of Thanos, who you may from time to time in the past and in the future as he likes to make his appearances known uh, from time to time but really had me looking at him in a different light at, by the time the story ends uh, especially considering the role that Raven may or may not be playing uh, Raven was the black cat stop Daniels I wasn't calling you uh, was the black cat that might play the role of the turncoat of the revolution but uh, we will see once issue two comes out as to what comes next but i truly enjoyed uh truly enjoyed the story and I'm, i will give tom tom king his credit for that so again that is animal pound number one from boom studios written by tom king with art by Peter Gross. Uh, next up, 
we have Pine and Merrimack. Uh, this is another book from Boom Studios. Came out a few weeks ago on the 3rd. It is written by Kyle Stalks with art by Fran Gellin. And uh, this is another story that really starts out kind of slow in what it's looking at. So we have a story of a cop uh, who gets, I guess, turned down uh, with her love of law enforcement. So she leaves the police force and opens up a detective agency, a PI agency in her hometown at the corner of Pine and Merrimack. And she goes there with her husband, who is a former prize fighter. And she gets pulled into, she gets pulled into a mystery that she really did not want to take but once it fell into her lap she really um, take it by the horns to try to find the cause and the results of what's going on the case centers around a missing person but what's interesting with this person who's gone missing is that she strikes a familiar appearance to the lead character's own sister and the lead character is uh, Lania uh, and her sister went missing was kidnapped they found her body and that was the precipice of her going into law enforcement and now this case, you know, something again, missing persons was not something that she was looking to do as a PI, but when this fell into the la into her lap and she sees just how similar this missing person is to her sister, uh, against the advice of her husband, she takes it up. So that's how that story ends and we get ready for issue number two but I uh, truly enjoyed the story. It, it builds as you would normally see a crime story mystery happen. Uh, it is a slow build. There are some fun tidbits uh, layered in between the pages as you get to uh, the main case coming to Linnea. Uh, and it is it is partnered with some really good art from Frank Gallen, who actually does the colors as well. So uh, this is something, yes, I, I definitely do recommend uh, if, if you haven't picked it up just yet. Uh, again, that is Pine and Merrimack, issue number one from Kyle Stocks and Frank Gallen over at Boom Studios. So next up, uh, this is something I typically don't do for you all who have been listening to the podcast for a while, uh, but I am going to go over to DC Comics and Batman and Robin number five. Uh, as you guys know, I usually don't cover Batman books here. I save those for when I'm on the TBU comic podcast, uh, but I wanted to touch upon it just because again, well, we, we're not recording the comic podcast until next week 
uh, and this actually came out last week so I wanted to quickly get my thoughts in uh, before I have to do it again in a few weeks but again Batman and Robin number five written by Joshua Williamson with art by uh, Nicola Zizmizla I hope I am pronouncing that name correctly um, but it continues this story arc into the shush character and man bat and uh, the possible reappearance of Mother Hosh, who is uh, Madame Hosh, who is uh, one of Damien's early teachers back in the uh, League of Assassins. And I have been enjoying the writing from Joshua Williamson. I think I look to Batman and Robin as a continuation of his Robin run from a few years ago. So, you know, I, I don't necessarily separate them. Uh, and and I don't think he looks to separate my, I think he intertwines those two runs together, which is fine by me. Uh, I have, you know, usually been talking about how the art needed to change up a little bit uh, because in those first three issues, the art was by uh, Simone DiMeo, uh, but we saw in issue four, uh, we had a different art artist covering the book, and uh, we have another artist covering it this time as well. And I am a fan of Nicolo Zimila's art uh, just as much as everyone else. And the colors from Rex Lucas is uh, just phenomenal. But I am interesting to know where this story continues to go. Uh, we saw in this issue that Damien, well, we saw at the end of issue four that Damien believes that uh, his teacher, uh, his principal actually, is Shush in disguise. And he also believes that Shush is actually uh, Madame Hosh, who again was his teacher. Uh, back in the day, not Madame Hosh, not Madame Hosh, Mistress Hosh, uh, from back in his days with the League of Assassins. But I ultimately think that in the end, uh, Joshua Williamson is gonna take us on a swerve. Uh, I think Jason, I think Damien is wrong in his assumption I I have my thoughts uh, I'm not going to reveal it uh, I did reveal it if you're following the TBU discord I did reveal it there but uh, I'm, I'm not going to reveal it just yet because I don't want to perhaps spoil the story for folks but I personally do not think that the principal is who Damien believes that she is now ironically we get to the end of the issue and there is a reveal that I don't think anyone was uh, expecting and uh, that was the reveal that one of Damien's rivals in high school is actually the son of Victor Zaz so uh, that was uh, an interesting ending uh, I am I am still on board with this story uh, this was not my favorite. I don't think this was the best of the five issues that uh, 
that have been out thus far, but that doesn't make it a bad issue. Uh, I am continuing to follow this again. I have enjoyed Joshua Williamson's voice with regards to Damien and how he continues to develop and mature Damien before our very eyes. But I think he still has some humbling to do. And I think Joshua Williamson, uh, just from on the record, off the record conversations is going to do that. I think Damien has a little bit growing up to do. And I think we're going to see that at the end when, uh, he may be proven wrong in who Shush really is. But again, that was Batman and Robin number five from Joshua Williamson and Nicola Zizmila from DC Comics. Next up, we're going to move on over to Marvel and Rise of the Powers of X, number one. And for this, uh, X is meant to denote 10, so Rise of the Powers of 10. Number one, written by Karen Gillan with art from R.B. Silva. Uh, so this is the latest addition to the whole fall of the House of X uh, event that's going on in the X-Men universe right now. So I'm happy to be talking about a Marvel comic other than sensational She-Hulk and you all know I cover that I'll be covering that issue a little bit later but I have been down on Marvel for quite a while uh, you know in the past I have been following the X-Books but they just seem to they, they really seem to have gotten away from where things began uh, when Jonathan Hickman first took over as the showrunner of the X-Books. And since then, I've really kind of been turned off. Now, I will say that I've read some issues of Gillen's Immortal X-Men, and those have been pleasant. But for the most part, I've been turned off. The last, the last issues, as far as X-Books are concerned, uh, was worthy books that, were a part of the uh, sinister line that was going on, the sins of sinister. And that was okay, uh, just seeing the focus that they gave to Mr. Sinister during that event. But uh, it kind of all comes to a head right now with this uh, fall of the House of X storyline that's going on. And uh, it began with a recent issue of Immortal X-Men and then went into uh, the first issue of Follow the House of X, number one, which I believe was out last week. I read it already, but it kind of sets up what ultimately they're looking at doing. And once again, they are looking at resetting the timeline. Now, in the beginning, when Hickman first began this new world of X-Men, uh, we saw that we were living in multiple timelines, or at least the X-Men, I'm saying we, but 
616. We're living in multiple timelines and these multiple timelines came about due to Moira McTaggart and the revelation that she too was a mutant uh, and was able to reset these timelines with her death. And as that all came about, uh, Mr. Sinister uh, was able to take a clone or make a clone of Mara and uh, he set up this secret lab that had these clones and whenever he felt the need to reset things he would reset it with safe he would reset the timeline with these safeguards built in to counteract the mistakes he made in the previous timeline so it's happened multiple times and you really saw it come to a head in Sins of Sinister with how this lab was found to be and since then the team of Orcus have taken over the world uh, the X-Men fled to Mars uh, Charles was able to get them all to leave uh, but they attempted to make their return to free the world of Orcus control and as we see they really failed at it and we're now getting into the aftermath of that where we see the uh, we see the likes of Nimrod and we see the likes of Omega Sentinel uh, set another plan into play uh, that really is going to set the world on fire but uh, for his doing, Charles is still thinking of ways to make the world a better place. And he, if you were reading, if you've read Follow the House of X number one last issue, he recalled Rasputin 4 uh, from her attempt to rescue uh, Scott, who was on trial. And uh, he recalled her. And we, we pick up on that now in this issue uh, where the ultimate goal now, the only way he can see as to fixing everything and saving the world from the evils of Orcus and everything that Dr. Stasis was looking to do is to reset the timeline once again. However, what he's looking to do is something that's even more extreme it's compared to what uh, Mr. Sinister was doing you know with his plans and his clones what Charles is looking to do is to go back in time and to kill Mara before her mutant abilities manifest and by doing that it prevents all of this from happening so that's how that story ended uh, I am going to be following that I, I want to see how this all plays out uh, it, it is a great way to reset everything that has happened since Hickman created this world of X-Men uh, and, and I am I am intrigued with what Gillen is doing. So I will I will go on the record and say that since Hickman has stepped down, uh, Gillen has probably been my favorite of the X writers. 
uh, I enjoyed enjoyed a few of the, the books that Jerry Dugan wrote and uh, has written. Uh, I really enjoyed what Gillen has been doing since taking over Immortal X Men. Uh, I despise Teeny Howard for ruining Excalibur and ruining the relationship of, of Rogue and Gambit. Just no, but I am. I am interested to see. I am interested in seeing how Gillen brings this all to a close. We knew at some point in time that this world would have to reset this Crook Cohen world that Hickman first created a few years ago. So we knew it wasn't going to last forever. We knew it had to reset. We didn't know how it was going to reset. Uh, but Gillen has now presented us with his idea as to how it's going to be done and it was going to be by preventing Mara McTaggart from ever from ever incurring and in, in manifesting her mutant ability and so we'll see how that happens so uh, there is a checklist of titles to follow if you want to follow this event uh, I don't know if I'm going to get all of those issues I will definitely pick up the the fall and the rises uh, just as I did when uh, Hickman had house and powers back in the day so this again was rise of the powers of 10 uh, rise of the powers of X number 1 from Karen Gillen R.B. Silva over at Marvel Comics. Next up, we move on over to Image and Adventure Man Ghost Lights number one, written by Matt Fraction with art by Terry Dotson. So, first, let me talk about the art first. I have been a huge fan of the Dotsons, Terry and Rachel, who served as his anchor uh, for this issue for quite a while. I really like, I really like the way that they draw their characters. I, I've been a fan. Uh, I first really recognized their work on volume one of this series when it first came out, uh, and and immediately began to recognize their work on the covers that they've done. I also uh, enjoyed their work on the four-part series, uh, the crossover, no, not necessarily crossover, but the four-part series uh, X-Men Fantastic Four that focused on uh, Franklin being brought to Krakoa. So I enjoyed that as well. I've always been a huge fan of them. Uh, the way that they draw their characters and provide, they, they draw in a cartoon comic style that is really enjoyable on the eye. And for a comic book, they also have uh, realistic tones to their drawings and then when I say realistic tones I'm I'm primarily speaking of shapes and the body styles of their characters and the perspectives of the buildings that they draw uh, it's truly enjoyable I've always enjoyed 
their artwork. I'm happy to see that they're back on this series uh, for another volume, which serves as volume three with this first issue. Uh, but so the story picks up with Claire, who is the current adventure man being trapped by this phantom ghost crime boss who is looking to now bring this phantom underworld into the new into the current world and uh, she is looking to find a way to get free uh, she's trapped of course and he feels he has the upper hand and back at home her son who you know finds hints and who finds hints to what's going on in the stories of Adventure Man is telling the rest of the family her sisters of what's going on and really pushing them to go and help Claire and to do so they have to take the super serum that gives them their powers and they're hesitant to do so uh, but they're pushed, uh, finally really pushed, uh, with the appearance of the original cross draw kid who comes and says that, you know, they, and, and says that they really need to go and help their sister to save the world. And so when that issue ends, uh, you know, the phantom is looking to, uh, be done with Claire, but before doing so, they show up to, save their sister so that's how issue one ended um i enjoyed the story here's my problem with adventure man um it is easy to forget about simply because there is so much time in between the releases so it was sometime i want to say early last year that the last issue of volume two was released and we pretty much heard nothing since then and usually when these volumes end now with adventure man volume one was only four issues volume two got us through volume uh issue nine issue ten again it was another four issues and now we're here with volume three and at the usually at the end of an arc you know you get some closure but it's not necessarily that way with adventure man so at the end of the fourth issue there was a big cliffhanger and if you are like a lot of people who read trade paperbacks instead of floppies you know you get to this cliffhanger and there's nothing else and you have to wait for volume two to come out. But there was so, so much time between issue four and issue five, which started volume two. It makes it easy to forget about. And again, it's a good story. I've enjoyed all two, all two volumes as well as issue number one, but I'm just afraid that the timing of the release will make it forgettable to readers who have been following this story and I hope I just hope that if if 
this series is going to continue uh, beyond ghost lights that we we get some we get some continuity and we get uh, a better pacing and release so that the story is not forgotten by those who are picking it up uh, again I'm enjoying it I do recommend it uh, I just wish that it doesn't continue to follow the pattern that it's been following since uh, the release of the first issue uh, from a few years ago and that we get some more regular pacing with uh, these issues as they come out moving forward but again that's all I'm going to say about it again I do recommend picking it up and reading it that is Adventure Man Ghost Lights number one from Matt Fraction and Terry Dotson over at Image Comics Next up, uh, we're going to move on over to IDW and the Ministry of Compliance number two, uh, written by John Ridley with art by Stefano Raphael. So I had, I've been down on John Ridley since I am Batman and that whole series that kind of just took a turn for the worse, uh, after at the demise of Dan Didio and the whole 3G fiasco that happened over at DC. Uh, and first and foremost, I enjoyed the Future State series, many that he did with uh, Jace as Batman. I thought that was really good and it had me really excited for the I Am Batman series, especially after Second Son. But I Am Batman just went somewhere, especially after Jace made his way to New York. And I don't know, I just got lost and turned off and was completely disappointed with that series. So when I got a review copy of the Ministry of Compliance from IDW, I wasn't sure how I would... Uh, how I would accept the story considering how disappointed I was in the last series I read from Ridley. Let me just say I am pleasantly surprised and I am enjoying this story. Again, this is the second issue of the series and I'm liking where it's going. So for a lack of better words, this is an invasion that has gone awry, an invasion of Earth that has gone awry. And these aliens that are on the planet uh, are basically divided into different departments known as ministries. But the Ministry of Compliance is basically there for one purpose and one purpose only, and that is to represent the home world and to keep the other ministries in check so that they don't lose sight of who they are and what they're supposed to be doing with their mission. And the mission is to basically create a society that will be acquiesce to that of the home world through politics and everything that they are basically putting into play. And at the point where the planet seems to be ripe for this invasion and it's really like a quiet invasion it's not like 
you know, ships are coming in and blowing up stuff. They're planning the home world society ever so often into earth society, you know, whether through finance or politics or what have you, but they're basically molding and melding the planet to make it a point that they will send the world into chaos so that this, that this, this alien race, this home world can basically take over and they call it the devolution. But something goes awry. So the prime minister is basically been recalled and they have no leader. And while this chaos is going on on homeworld, the ministers on earth are freaking out and some are trying to leave earth, but they're unable to do so. You know, the ships that they expected to be there are not there. The minister who was responsible for the launch code so that they could leave in their ships have been killed. The launch codes are gone. Everything is just going awry. And the story focuses on Abigail, who is the minister of compliance. And again, that ministry's role is to keep all of the other ministries in check. And basically the way she, she does it is by killing whoever who who doesn't follow the rules. Uh, and that's how issue one began. It began with her killing a minister who was trying to kill another minister and basically putting that ministry into compliance by killing the minister who basically went wrong. And so now she finds herself at the center of trying to keep things in order while trying to figure out what they can do next. Uh, and the first thing that she needs to do is find these launch codes, which have been taken because the minister who was responsible for these codes, the minister of travel is no longer alive, was assassinated. And there are so many moving parts at play here. It's really political, but not in the sense of how we see our politics. If we're looking at politics from a world aspect, but the politics of putting these ministers into place to make sure that the home world accomplishes its mission and is really interesting. So right now we have the minister of finance, the minister of finance was killed while they're trying to get another minister in place. They find out about the prime minister being recalled. While that's going on, uh, the Ministry of Finance has been in placed in charge of another minister who has her own plans. Everybody seems to have their own plans. And so it really, really, really is a lot of moving parts. And that's not to mention also the, the ploy and the play that's happening with Kingsley. Kingsley is biracial but in this book when they speak of biracials what they are speaking to is they are speaking to those who are offspring of humans and this alien race and I don't know what this alien race name is called and it's not mentioned yet but she is considered biracial because of that and there is a group of biracials who are aware of this impending invasion 
and the existence of these aliens of this home world and who are also have their own plot going on and they're using uh kingsley as they're using kingsley as their go-to person she has infiltrated the ministry Abigail has made her a member of the Ministry of Compliance. So she has now implanted herself into the ministry and is now playing both sides. And by the end of this issue, she really has she really has a decision that she must make with regards to whether or not uh, she continues doing what her fellow biracials are looking for her to do or does she continue to move along with what is going on uh, with the ministry and trying to figure out what's next? So there are a lot of lot of moving parts in here. And, and let me just say, Quinn, who is Abigail's second in command, I guess, he is the character that I am most interested in. You know, he is he is supportive. Abigail and of the ministry but something tells me that there is something else that is up with him and I am I am interesting to see what happens but this is a really good story I really do enjoy it uh, I I am happy to see John really back in my good graces. Now, let me just talk a little bit about the art. The art from Stefano Raphael is absolutely great. The palette that is being used uh, for this story, and it's really, it's really a darker tone to match the story. You know, this is a, this is a, like again, it's an evasion going right, but it's also a mystery too, as to, you know, what is going on and how, with this minister that's been killed and where are the launch codes and who all knows that these aliens are here outside of the biracials, you know, Abigail is of the sense that earth men know that they're there, but that really hasn't been completely verified yet. Although I'm, I'm, I'm of the opinion that they know as well, but the biracials definitely know of uh, their existence. So there's a whole ton of stuff that's going on. You know, I think, I think Kingsley is really going to play a vital, vital role. Again, she's, she's, she has a decision to make as she's kind of been told that there's other players that she's not aware of who have also infiltrated the ministries. She doesn't know which ministry it is and who that person is, but there are some things going on right now that will test Kingsley and her her loyalty to Abigail, but also the loyalty that she has to the mission at hand, which is exposing uh, what's going on uh, with the ministers and the upcoming invasion. Uh, but just getting back again to the to the art, I love what Raphael is doing with his drawing and the palette he's using. I love the dark tones. I love, I love, I love it. It really fits the story, uh, and I can't wait to see what goes on in issue three. Uh, really happy with what this story is given to me. So, uh, it, 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 on a scale of five, it's probably a four, four and a half, just with how good it is going thus far but again 
That is Ministry of Compliance number two from John Ridley and Stefano Raphael over at IDW. Now we're going to stay there at IDW for a moment. And now we're going to talk about Star Trek Strange New Worlds, the Scorpius run. This is the final issue of this miniseries uh, that has been basically almost like interludes of the season. Uh, this one is written by Ryan Parrott with art by Andrew Hernandez. Uh, Stranger World has been not only my favorite Star Trek that's on TV right now, but in the overarching stories that IDW has been publishing in the world of Star Trek, Strange New World is probably my favorite book as well that's not to take anything away from the main star trek series picard academy defiant they're all really good but strange new worlds have been great and let me tell you why by the time i finished reading a strange new worlds run i truly feel that i can take that story and planet right smack in the middle of a finished season and the impending season. It was the same way with the last mini that came out, which was the Illyrian Enigma, which focused on Yuna's issue with being found out being Illyrian, which is a banned society under Starfleet and the fact that she basically hid her race to get into Starfleet, which was again also illegal. And that story gave a history of the Illyrian people and how they came to be and who were all responsible for causing the Illyrians to have to genetically modify themselves in order to survive. That was a wonderful story that could have been planted right smack in the middle of season one and season two. And the same goes right here with uh, the Scorpius run. It is a story that could take place in the history, in the continuity of Strange New Worlds as you watch it on Paramount+. Plus. Now, unlike the Illyrian Enigma, which really could have taken place with between season one and season two of the TV series. This not necessarily can happen since at the end of uh, season two, we see the Enterprise in the battle, more or less. So this doesn't fit anywhere in between. But it's still a story that can take place within the universe. And I truly appreciate how Ryan Parrott plays the story and, and plots out how things go from beginning to end and we see by the time the story ends that the participants in the Scorpius run the the remaining ships all come together to not only finish the race but to defy and to take down Zephyx uh, so that this Scorpius run would be the last and how they do it really great wasn't something I thought would happen, uh, but considering 
it was the this issue is the final issue of the mini. You knew something had to happen. I wasn't expecting what happened to happen, but it's something plausible considering where Star Trek Strange New Worlds is that it could happen. And so I won't give too many details as to what exactly happened for those who may want to pick this up, but absolutely enjoyed it. I am a fan of Angel Hernandez art uh, simply because of how much close and how similar he draws the characters compared to their TV counterparts. You know Christopher Pike, you know Dr. Mbenga, you you know Uhura and Spock. You you see the characters and and there's no mistake in, in who they are in the comic compared to the TV series. And I truly enjoy Hernandez's art style and sticking to that. But again, I will pick up any Strange New World series. It is absolutely the best of the Star Trek books in my opinion. You can't go wrong with it. And I can't wait for the next one to come out. I don't know what it is and when it is. And um, I'm actually hoping to meet the group editor, Heather Antos, uh, pretty soon to talk about what might be going on with Star Trek. I was hoping to do so at Fan Expo. She was a guest there, uh, but I wasn't able to meet up with her. So I hope to meet with her and interview her for a future episode of the podcast to talk about the world of Star Trek and where things might be going, not just with uh, Strange New World, Strange New Worlds, but the other Star Trek series as well. But this one, Star Trek Strange New Worlds, the Scorpius run number five from Ryan Parrott and Angel Hernandez over at IDW. Okay, now let's move on back to Marvel Comics and the sensational She-Hulk number four written by Rainbow Rowell with art by Aguera. I hope I'm saying that name correctly. Uh, I am a true believer in Rainbow Rowell and her grasp on Jennifer Walters right now. You know, I will admit when she first was put on the title back uh, in that first volume of hers. It started off a little slow. I wasn't sure where she was bringing Jen. And then it just seemed to blow up. And I say that in all of the good ways possible, uh, whether it was the art, whether it was the story, it just became it became a She-Hulk I've been wanting to see for a long time. And as it continued to go through the end and we got into the the storyline with her and her budding relationship with Jack, and then the appearance of Scoundrel, you know, trying to draw a wrench into that relationship, it really, really, really got good. And it created a Jennifer Walters that was so confident in who she was, which was quite different than we have seen in any of the previous runs, whether it was Charles Soule and even in the Mariko Tamaki run uh, that I truly enjoyed. 
the confidence in Jen now just surplants all of that. And I am truly on board with what is going on even now into this second volume, and which is a return to the title sensational She-Hulk. Uh, this was just a fun issue. You know, issue three, we had issue two and issue three. We had Jen dealing with issues with uh, Bruce popping up uh, on her street. The fight between her and April as she attacked Bruce, coming to find out that the attack was simply to get Bruce's blood this time instead of Jen's. And how all of that has now turned into this revolt by the citizens of New York against her, especially those that live in her neighborhood because of the damage that was caused. And you would think that that would really hinder the growth that has happened with Jen over uh, the last few years since Rainbow has been pinning her story. But what we see is, what we see is all of that be grabbed back you know she gets pulled back from the edge uh, with Patsy uh, Hellcat uh, popping up and dragging her out into the club for a girls night out and that was really a really really fun issue and I am also impressed as someone who has not been a Carol Danvers fan since Miss Marvel became Captain Marvel Rainbow Rowell wrote her really well. I enjoyed seeing the interaction between the trio of Carol and Patsy and Jen as they uh, sat in the club basement, uh, just having fun and doing girl stuff. And I just, as someone who has been a fan of She-Hulk from day one, I am so happy to see such a good story uh, for one of my favorite characters. Again, she will probably be my favorite had it not been for Batman. But I am loving what Rainbow Rowell is doing. Uh, I am also a fan of Igor. I hope I'm saying the name right again. Uh, his art style. He has a nice pin on him with regards to his depictions of the characters. So... She-Hulk has had some really good artists going all the way back to the first volume of Raoul's run and it continues now and of course with Jen Bartel continuing to do the covers it's just I hope Marvel let Rainbow Raoul continue to do what she's been doing and just let this story flow and you will not hear anything from me with regards to any problems I'm having at Marvel. It is the only book that I've been consistently reading at Marvel for the last few years. Uh, I picked up again, I mentioned it earlier when talking about the uh, rise of the powers of 10 that, you know, I picked up an X book here and there, uh, especially after Hickman left as the head of X, uh, but I have been consistently reading She-Hulk, uh, not only because I've been a lifelong fan, but I've actually been enjoying the story, and I just hope it continues, and, and Rainbow Rowell got my support uh, to just 
take this run that she's been doing and just go with it and bring it to the moon. Uh, but again, that is Sensational She-Hulk number four, written by Rainbow Ryle with art by Egoawa from Marvel Comics. And finally, to bring us home, we have Transformers number four, written and drawn by Daniel Warren Johnson with colors by Mike Spicer. So, as I kind of went into when I first reviewed issue one a few podcast episodes ago, this is not your daddy's or your granddaddy's transformer. So this isn't the eighties cartoon and this isn't what we've seen in the pages of Marvel or at IDW back in the day or back a few years ago. When you look at what Daniel Warren Johnson is doing with these characters and that he's been doing since issue number one. I remember when I met and spoke with Joshua Williamson and we were speaking about the partnership between Skybound and Hasbro, the owners of the Transformers and G.I. Joe imprints uh, or the IPs. He mentioned how much Hasbro has been giving them freedom to write these stories and how they've trusted them with some leeway in putting these stories together. And it has been so evident uh, with Transformers going all the way back to the first issue where Starscream kills Bumblebee and no one expected that. And we continue to see just a totally different mindset of characters with the energy universe. Again, Starscream is just rootless beyond reason. We've seen some gruesome deaths and that have brought in G.I. Joe and all of these things that have just been going on and it is shocking but it is still oh so good and we continue to get that here with issue 4 where Starscream is just he's just so malicious and hideous and just downright evil something that we've we've haven't seen in any other iterations of the character and we see how he just goes on this murder spree of wanting to destroy the hospital and just kill all the squishies i.e. human beings just because and and I just I don't know the right word to say it but Daniel Warren Johnson has just been killing it with the Transformers Uh, I just don't know I don't know what else it is that he can do that just makes my makes my eyes pop Uh, by the time we get to the end of an issue you know and it happens again at the end of this issue as well you know one of the things that 
have constantly been in the solicits with regards to where this story is going is where is Megatron? What happened to Megatron? And we kind of get that by the end of this issue. And it was something that I wasn't expecting. And it's easy to not expect it considering as we get into that panel where we see the inactive Megatron, Starscream is just, again, he, if you remember what I was saying about She-Hulk's confidence and how it's been built up at the hand of Rainbow Rowell, the fear of Starscream not being the leader of the Decepticons just makes him this menace and just willing to do whatever. And we see by the end of this issue, as we get towards the end of this issue, he and Soundwave basically kill Skywarp to save themselves by basically just pulling his parts away from him and killing him and and it just it, it you wonder what else it is that Starscream is able to do to just prove he's just this monster of a character but if you don't look you're so much paying attention to what Starscream is doing when you get to that last page and you see this being trapped in ice you don't really know who he is until you really look and you're like wait we've changed the theme that's Megatron and so now now we're really about to get we're really about to get going and I am I am just I am all in for uh, this story. I'm I'm all in for everything that's going on with the Energen universe, whether it's Void Rivals, whether it's Transformers, whether it's GI Joe, uh, Cobra Commanders coming out next week. I'm or actually this week as you're listening to the podcast. It's just been it's just been an an awesome run with this new universe that they're giving us over at Skybound and I am all in for it you know Daniel Warren Johnson has a great eye not just for drawing characters but also writing them and I am I am a complete fan of his and how he does it and that goes back even before this story I was I was all in on do a power bomb and that story and his art style again you can tell a Daniel Warren Johnson book from his art style is very distinctive and I love it but what makes it better is when his his pencil is matched with a pen that is just a great story and I'm all in for this Transformers run that he's doing. And again, when you when you when you write a story that makes 
you're a fan of everything that's going on, whether it's Starscream just being this rootless, menacing leader of the Decepticons, or it's Optimus being the Optimus that we have always known him to be, willing to sacrifice himself for the greater good. It's just it's just a wonderful story and I'm all in for it. I can't express enough how much I'm enjoying all of the titles of the energy universe. Uh, but again, Transformers number four, if you're not reading it, if you're not reading this run of Transformers, you are truly missing out on an absolutely great story. This is not anything that you would have ever seen in IDW or at Marvel when it was over there. You need to be picking this up and, and reading it. You need to be picking up all of the titles of the Energen universe and just enjoying it for what it is and what it's giving us and what it's presenting and placing together to just grow this universe into what it's what it's plan to be uh, I just I can't express enough how much I'm enjoying this book uh, but again that's Transformers number 4 written and drawn by Daniel Warren Johnson over at Skybound and Image Comics so that is going to do it for this episode of the Comic Ben Comic Book Podcast. I want to thank you all for joining me for yet another season. Next time, next time, we got a good slate of books lined up that I'm going to be talking about. First up, Wonder Woman number five from Tom King and Daniel Sampier. Some folks have told me that the run thus far have been has been okay, and I know that. Over at TBU, we've been reading that backup story with the Super Sons and Trinity. But I am going to catch up on the first five issues and uh, review issue five uh, for the next podcast. And then we're going to look at Cobra Commander number one from Joshua Williamson and Andrea Milana over at Image Skybound, the latest addition to the Energen universe, uh, focusing this time on Cobra's leader as they discover the world of Transformers and what that means with the battle between the Joes and Cobra. Uh, then we're going to look at the final issue of Superman Lost from Christopher Priest with art by Carlo Pagnuolian. And then we're going to look at the next issue of Star Trek, Star Trek number 16 from Jackson Lanzine and Colin Kelly with art from August Toe over at IDW. Um, while it is a good story, Star Trek has kind of been the weakest for me. And it's probably due to the fact that I am not a fan of Benjamin Sisko. Please, y'all, don't at me. Don't be mad. It's just, it's the way I've been for the longest, and it probably has something to do with the fact that uh, Deep Space Nine was set on a space station instead of on a ship such as Voyager or the Enterprise. But I've, I've, I've never been a fan of, of the Sisko. Uh, 
Uh, and while I have read every issue of this current run, uh, again, I've enjoyed it, but it just seems compared to the other stories, the other Star Trek series that are out there, it is the weakest of them. And it's still good, but we're going to talk about it more next week. And then we're also going to look at X-Men number 30 from Jerry Dugan with art by Phil Noto over at Marvel. It's another addition to what's going on with the fall of the House of X and that whole event. Uh, so we'll see what's going on with that as the X-Men continue their battle to try to save the planet from the hands of Orcus. But again, that is going to do it for this episode. Uh, thank you all for joining me. As I mentioned before, there's a lot that's going to be happening with the uh, podcast as we go into 2024. Uh, as I mentioned earlier last year, uh, we have joined forces with the Batman universe and we are now one big family uh, together. Uh, that's a sister site. And so we'll be doing a whole lot of things uh, in conjunction with the Batman universe. Um, you know, whether it's interviews or special podcasts or special episodes, uh, if, if you haven't seen our end of year special, it is on YouTube. It was our first live stream that we've done, uh, as a site, we got a lot of those planned for the future. So be on the lookout for that, but 2024 is going to be a big year for comics and I'm, I'm hoping you all join me for that but again thank you all for your continued support I look forward to speaking with you all again next time and until then keep reading those comics oh.